Market call, Tuesday, April 11th. Dan Nathan back. Gave him a much needed, you know, and good for Dan taking a break. You need a break every once in a while. He's actually in the midst of jury duty. He's at his lunch hour, but he's joining us, which is great. By the way, before we start in market call, this one, by the way, Dan, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. And obviously, FactSet is our data provider. Um, Last night was not a good night for G-Swizz. The Yankees lost in Cleveland, got off to an early 2-0 lead, only to see it dwindle, lose 3-2. The bats went worse, silent. What was worse than the Yankees' loss for you? Was there another Mets baseball winning. team that won? Mets yeah. winning. Yeah. And what did I t- – you know, we had a whole conversation. The yeah. Mets winning, the 5-zip. You, Darvish, did not have it last night at Shea, unfortunate. The Padres uh, will get him back this evening. Of course, then the Rangers lost in overtime to a Sabre team, by the way, that if they had this type of goaltending all year, they wouldn't be flirting with the playoffs. They'd be embedded in the aforementioned playoffs. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Dan. I hope the jury duty is going well. How are yeah, you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping to get out of jury mm. duty. So I spent a, a day or a morning twiddling my thumbs, Guy Dami. But I come in here, and I'm looking at my fact set screen, and I see a lot of green in the S&P, mm-hmm. and I see – a bunch of uh, red in the NASDAQ. That was definitely the theme yesterday morning uh, as we were preparing the rundown for the market call a little bit, but that seemed to have fixed itself. There was a huge rally, right, in the NASDAQ Mm -hmm. off the lows. The S&P closed okay. A lot of it has to do with maybe, and we've been talking about this, I think we've said this kind of repeatedly with the banks reporting first this week. Um, We know we have JP, we have Citi, we have Wells Fargo, BlackRock, PNC, all on Friday. I think we were all saying while we remain bearish of the sector and all the uncertainty in it, don't think it's a great press, at least days before. We can take another look on Market Call on Thursday, right? On the eve of that. But like to me, they really do feel like they're firming up. And a day like today, when I see Bank and Wells Fargo each up a little less than 2%, it tells you that people are at least covering their shorts after yep. a really bad month and a half, um, or they're getting long. I, I don't know if you're getting long. If you're getting long right here, guy, you're getting long for a trade in the banks. I think I think that's I think you hit the nail on the head. I think people are probably squaring up. They've been burnt enough times. And to your point, that press on the downside is probably not the thing to do. In re- but you know what we've seen a number of times, a number of times we've seen many times over the years. Uh, banks give it up, you know, in the week post earnings. J.P. Morgan specifically is one that does not trade particularly well. So we'll see. But in terms of you know what we're seeing today, that continues the weakness, the weakness in the Nasdaq, and maybe that's something to do with that Microsoft. Uh, it wasn't a downgrade, I don't think, but they were taking down Azure numbers, which ahead of earnings is an interesting call, something we've said for a while, and something you've been focused on. And by the way, uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And Dan, what should they do to the um, to the like button? Well, no, they actually should hit the subscribe button and subscribe. So make sure that you're subscribed. Then you get mm-hmm. notifications about when we're going to do the market call. And we do do it every day, Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And we have great guests like Liz Young. That would be EY from SoFi. Sure. We have Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting. What's that? What do you call it? What's his tagline? Uh, well, that? you know, Worth Charting. No emojis. No With hearts. Charts. Just With charts. charts. Okay. All right. So we do that. Okay. Brilliant. So you can, can I say something. It's brilliant. It, it and if he brilliant. were to say it that way, it would, yeah. it would be as viral as that, that cars for kids thing, which, you know, say what you want. That's embedded in your brain. Anyway, I'm sorry, Dan, please. 
Yeah, you know it's funny. John Oliver on his um, last week tonight show ha- had a great joke the other night. He was talking about something about incarceration and kids being incarcerated in solitary confinement. He did this whole long bit on it, and he was going to go into like the seriousness of that. But then he said, "But if it's those kids from those Cars for Kids commercials, I'm okay with it," which I thought <laughs> was pretty funny. You know what I mean? Because again, they've been tormenting us on like some random cable channels with those ads for years. Um, uh, hold on, before we, we have to get into this, yeah. Robert Byers, not spelled Byers like Keith Byers of Ohio State slash Philadelphia Eagle. I think he had a cup of coffee with the Jets, but Robert says, and if we could flash it up, is Dan training for a marathon or something? And that's speaking to you know the incredible shrinking man that you've become over the last month or thereabouts. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We 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 have some. That's gonna be uh, probably on an OK computer conversation a little bit about my new regimen here. And without any spoilers, um, you know, I'm just uh, I'm working on some stuff here. So it's yeah, a multi are. it's a multifaceted thing. And you know, it's funny. Sarah and I, that's my wife, we had um, our kids are back in school, you know, after the long Easter weekend. And we were watching some stuff on YouTube and all. Well, here you go, guy. And our content that we've been now posting video of our on the tape podcast of our OK Computer podcast and obviously Market Call lives on YouTube here. They were coming up. They're being populated on our TV, and we were looking at all these pictures. And there was a couple great dirt faces of you, dude, with your like, you know, like the way Stephen or Amanda has chosen to frozen uh, to freeze the video. You know what I mean? You look kind of goofy. But we were going back and looking at some of these things, and I was getting a little roly poly towards the end of last year, people. So we had to do something about yeah, that. Sort it out. All right, we're going to talk about that. All right, uh, at another time here. Let, let's talk a little bit, guy. You were just talking about like, like, you know, what traders or or you know, people who are positioned in the banks might be doing in front of bank earnings. Let's also talk about the positioning in the S&P 500. The CPI is coming out tomorrow morning. There still seems to be after that March jobs report, um, which I don't think did enough for those people who wanted to see unemployment tick up. I think they still saw some underlying strength. You saw the unemployment number actually tick down a little bit. The CPI reading is going to be kind of interesting. And, you know, I'm looking at the S&P uh, futures. And I, if I look at the options on the S&P futures, probably about a one day, uh, 1% move tomorrow, which doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot. But when you look that chart right and you look where we are guy relative to that downtrend that's been in place since the start of january 2022 when the s&p was all-time highs you say to yourself hot reading on that uh cpi outperform that one percent move let's say to the downside because it gives investors the thought that the fed is going to raise again in may the cme fed funds tracker we see what that's doing it's pricing a very good chance of that but maybe it's one and done. I don't know. It's a tough one to read, right? With some of this data that's going to be coming in. It's a, no question about it. I thought the job. I thought unemployment ticking back down to three and a half percent would have been troublesome. And you know, when I was watching it on Friday, market being closed, but obviously CNBC was on for an hour, and I was watching the futures. I'm like, that's really odd that you got to bounce in the futures. Yeah. And look, you know, markets see what they want to see. That's fine. But again, the unemployment rate is sticky as hell, and that's. You say it's a lagging indicator. Yeah, maybe. But I tell you what, I mean, 475, 500 basis points of hikes has not made a dent in the labor market. Now, maybe we're starting to see it. And Liz talks about in terms of the jolts and some of the other potentially leading indicators, but it's not here yet. So that makes their job difficult. Obviously, commodities heading back up, led by crude oil and some of the energy products, that continues to be somewhat problematic. So you know, we'll see. I think this reading, again, you know, the, the market will take what it wants. 
I yeah. happen to think inflation is still a problem. The Fed has been pretty stalwart, I would, I would say, in terms of their rhetoric. They seem to be um, hell-bent on continuing to fight inflation. We're going to have um, – I, I, we have a guest on tonight who thinks the Fed's actually going to pause in May. A lot of people think they're going to go another 25. I think another 25 probably makes sense, but that's a lot of what hinges on that tomorrow. But with all that said, yeah. earnings are still the backbone of this market, and we're going to find out a lot more over the next week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, and I guess the the main point that I would say about the CPI and about expectations of inflationary readings, at least maybe kind of slowing their decline that we've seen over the last kind of six to nine months. And then if there's an expectation that they're going to pick back up, which is exactly what you've said um, you thought would happen with commodities, right? Once the like right, once the pivot crab kind of got their way then that really is a headwind, right, to S&P earnings once again. And if you think about this, and there was an interesting uh, friend of ours, Tommy, sent this uh, tweet over uh, to me from Jason Furman this morning. The credit contraction continues. NFIB survey shows that credit conditions are tightening for small businesses and tighter than any time since the aftermath of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. um, this is from Jason Furman. Um, he used to work, I think, in the Obama administration. And I sent our friend Tommy back, Peter Bookvar's note from Bleakley Advisors this morning for the book report. And he was actually also talking about small business optimism, which continues to tick down. And so when you think about our economy, guy, when you think about how much of it is driven by small and medium businesses, if these guys or these gals or these people running small businesses who are making hiring decisions, right, making CapEx decisions, making all sorts of decisions are less optimistic, right, then that's going to weigh on just economic activity in general, right? And so um, no and doubt that, about it. I mean, yeah. think about what you said. Credit conditions are as tight as they've been since the financial crisis. That's 14, 15 or so years ago. And, and that's something we've been alluding to for a while. And that's devoid of what interest rates do. Again, interest rates could go down from here. It's not going to improve credit conditions. Banks, things are going to get tighter. Regulation yeah. is coming. Banks are going to get tighter on the lending side of things. That's going to ratchet, in my opinion, growth continually down which effectively, you know, at some point that affects earnings, clearly affects margins, and it shouldn't, you shouldn't be paying a premium multiple for the S&P 500 in that environment. Yeah. And so let's, let's pull up this uh, tweet from CQ. That would be Carl. Oh, I love CQ. I know you do. You just yeah. call him CQ. I call him, well, I call him Q. Um, this is from the B of A desk. Some people refer to them as BOFA. Um, yeah. but easy Fed policy and tightening credit conditions typically equate to the worst phase for stocks. Our U.S. equity strategists continue to forecast an S&P 500 year-end target of 4,000, which the index expected to fall to an intra-year low of 3,000. Okay, right. well, that's even... That, that's outbearing you and me. I don't think you and I or either one of us are in the 3,000 camp. It would take a whole host of things, more than just a soft to a hard landing of a recession, in my opinion, to see the S&P down near 3,000 at this point. Thoughts there, guy? Because I'll tell you this, and I know we're going to look at the NASDAQ in a second. I mean, listen, I think the S&P um, could easily be down on the year and find itself back towards that kind of 3590 or 3500 or something like that. Maybe it round trips back towards 3400, which is the pre-pandemic high. The likelihood of the NASDAQ um, at this point making new lows without some really big event unforeseen um, you know, would be really hard for me to kind of contemplate. So let's just talk about this for a second. I, you know, I agree with the premise. 3,000, I think, to your point, is probably a tad extreme. Yeah. Markets do overshoot. But let's just talk about how we potentially get there. And they just didn't put this note out willy-nilly. I mean, in order to go down to 3,000, that's about a 26% or so move from where we are. 
And to get back then to 4,000 by the end of the year, that's a 33% rally. I can do that math, and that's how it works. And that's all going to take place seemingly over the course of six and a half or so months. I mean, that's pretty interesting. That's a pretty, I'll use the word, ballsy call by them. And quite frankly, the scenario, all the, all the things that we look at actually lead towards exactly this in some way, shape, or form. So I don't disagree with the premise. Maybe the targets are a little excessive, but yeah. you know, it made, makes for a great headline. But the work behind it, the work behind it is what's important. And they clearly did the work to get them there. So again, it's not just Dan and me talking about these things. There are other people that actually do this. I mean, we do it for a living, but their sole mandate is to take all these uh, inputs in and then spit out Prognos- prognostications on the back end yeah and you and i just spit them out without a whole heck of a lot no that's you know what i mean i no, mean we I, look a lot, they, they yeah. look solely at these these inputs and indicate but i know that's fair. yeah all right let's, let's I look really, at you know other things too hot I, you know. I i know you do bro um let's let's go to this bloomberg headline um hedge funds boost s&p shorts to decade high before cpi and before earnings now usually guy when you see those sorts of headlines, okay? And let's just say you're inclined to be bearish. I don't love seeing data like that. I don't love seeing everybody on one side of the boat here a little bit, right? And especially if we're going back, this is again, going back um, to a decade high. Um, that being said, is the smart money, is the smart money, are they often right, you know what I mean, into a, a binary sort of event? And again, I don't mean to say binary by any means. Um, I'm just curious. And then I also, we got to pull up this um, Carter Braxton Worth of the aforementioned Worth charting, just sent uh, a great chart out on the S&P 500, because I think this all kind of feeds into themselves or feeds into each other a little bit, Guy, if you, if you, if you look at this here. So how do you feel about this positioning in front of CPI, in front of earnings? And then let's talk about hard hat zone for the S&P 500 from Carter. I mean- First of all, it's brilliant in terms of he has these little rocks falling and stuff. And, you know, the yellow typically hard hats are typically yellow. So there's so much to like here. And look, I mean, yes, I can absolutely see that. And as he as he showed uh, those two circles on the downside, he drew his trend lines, he drew his his levels and he's showing what he thinks is going to take place. It makes a lot of sense, but it better start taking place soon if you're in that camp, which clearly I've been in for quite some time. Otherwise, and I think you would agree with this as well, momentum starts to breed momentum. And I see all the comments in the, in the, in the comments section here talking about you guys, everybody's too bearish. Everybody's too bearish. You're missing the point about more shorts out there. It's a contraindicator. I, I get all that stuff. But if, again, you look at the backdrop of everything we talk about and all the indicators and all the different moves in bond markets and the ISM numbers, which have been a disaster, um, these currency moves that we're seeing, the yep. what's going on in Bitcoin, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to a, in my opinion, a healthy backdrop for equities. Yeah. Hey, let's go to this S and P chart the, of the minis that we had up earlier, and and I want to just kind of make one point about this because you just said something really interesting, guy. You said it better happen soon, or people are saying it better happen soon. Look at this chart. Okay, this is from forty eight hundred in the S and P futures. This was in the start of January. Look at these rallies that. We- You've had and I think it's interesting. So if you go back to the March rally of 2022, it was into earnings season. You saw that we made a new low, right? And then if you go into the summer of last year, you go from late June into earnings season that gets kicked off in late July and really kind of ends by mid-August. Well, that's where the rally ended, right? Right at its 200-day average, 200-day moving average. Then again, 
in October, right, into earnings season and on the way out, but then it kind of uh, fails after that. And then we had the same sort of thing in February, guy. We had a rally into earnings season. So here we are. We bounced off that 200-day moving average, right? We're above that downtrend that's been in place since January 2022. So to your point about when it is likely to happen, uh, could be that. And 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 again, people, if you think that we're going to get some rip-roaring rally because the Fed doesn't go 25 basis points after going 475 basis points in 13 months. You think that's the thing that's going to trigger? I think what Guy just said earlier is there's twofold. What happens to credit and what happens to just this these cuts, or excuse me, these raises, these raises, okay? The cuts are being priced in towards the end of the year, but these raises, what they mean for the economy, that's the sort of thing is going to weigh on uh, earnings. And then the other point about that is to your point about um, inflation and picking back up. So to me, stagflation, not good for equities. We we might rally a bit longer. That was the story last year of all those rallies. I think you and I were probably laying out the shorts maybe a week or so early. But listen, again, it's about uh, risk management. It's about how you size your trades, that sort of thing. And so to me, if you're going into your trade with a full position and you're not allowing for something to overshoot what you think could happen, they're always going to overshoot. Right. I'm always going to be early. That's just my thing. It's interesting. Artin Asodorian, and I apologize if I butchered your name, sir, but if we could pull this up, because this speaks to the inherent bullish bias that's out there. Everyone was on the long side of the boat for 10 years, and we never heard the contra argument regarding sentiment. You're 100% right. Now that most people are bearish, we constantly hear this as a contra indicator. 100% could not be, could not be truer. Uh, I agree with you. When people are collectively bearish, people will use that as a contra indicator. But when everybody's bullish, you know everything is fine. And that's just the way the market's constructed, Dan, and that's been true for as long as I've been doing this. All right, so let's talk about the construction of the NASDAQ 100 here. So we have the NASDAQ, the E-mini 100 futures here, um, Guy, and we put a trade on um, a couple weeks ago on the market call. We used a tight stop. Again, we were talking about the concentration of some of these big names, Microsoft, Apple, uh, Google, Amazon, uh, NVIDIA, and Tesla. You know, they make up, what, 45% or so. You see here, we're above that breakdown level from the spring of 2022. Um, we have not gotten back to the August highs, but we're above those Feb highs here. But one of the things that's interesting this week is that um, the NASDAQ is kind of underperformed on a relative mm -hmm. basis, the S&P, because of those big names, right? And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, there seems to be a focus, you mentioned it at the start of the show, about cloud revenues at Microsoft, about cloud revenues at Amazon, right? We know that Google is a big player there. We know that Oracle has been a big player there. If we're seeing lots of companies lay people off, both big and small, right? Like these companies are using these outsourced public clouds for a whole host of things. You're going to see the slowdown First, this is kind of going back 20 some years during the dot com crisis when all these dot coms started going out of business. Well, companies like Sun Microsystems that sold a lot of servers, or the companies like Intel that sold chips to the servers, or the, you know, the telephone. Cisco, Juniper. You know, I mean, yep. Yeah, all of this, right? It all came crumbling down. And I'm not saying we're about on the precipice of something like that. But, you know, uh, Jeffries was out this morning. I think the analyst is uh, Brent Thill, who comes on Fast Money a bunch guy. He was saying that they see, you know, AWS slowing down um, this 
this year to 12% growth. I mean, that I don't think it's had less than 30% growth in years. Okay. So if you want to extrapolate that to Microsoft and some of their other, you know, cloud-based recurring businesses, that sort of thing. I mean, to me, that's the thing that gets the NASDAQ 100 back, at least the, the futures back towards 12,000, which is about that 200 day moving average that we're looking at. Down you there. have to take that into consideration when so much speaking specifically for Microsoft, we'll get to Amazon in a second, but I don't know if we can pull up a Microsoft chart or not. So I apologize if we yeah, can't, we can. but if we can look at a Microsoft chart over the last year, I mean, this bounce from 222, I think, north of 290, I, I don't really understand what it was on the back of. I get some of this chat GBT. I totally get what's going on. The broader market was rallying, but that was all multiple expansion. It's interesting. Somebody was saying, well, Carter Worth is just a technician. Why is he talking about multiple expansion? He's allowed to do other things as well. I mean, you know, you got to give the man some. He was explaining why the markets were behaving as they were. With that said, I mean, so much of this move was on the back of exactly that. But go back and just look at Microsoft's quarter, the yeah. last quarter they reported. It wasn't particularly good. And the stock acted in kind. I mean, the stock went down, I want to say, to about 232 or thereabouts, and then we had a pretty significant bounce. I don't really know what they're going to say now that's changed. Is in, when you have analysts talking about slowing cloud growth, so much of their multiple is predicated on exactly that, cloud growth. So it's not there. You no longer need to play a premium multiple. And I will tell you, last I looked, Microsoft is probably close to 30 times next year's numbers. Yeah, matter of fact. Well, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what that kind of guidance looks like. I'm just really hard-pressed to think that any of these large platform companies are going to be able to offer a whole heck of a lot of visibility um, in this environment. And even if they do, I think John Butters, our friend over there at FactSet Earnings Insight, um, analyst there, you know, he's talked about Q1 earnings estimates have come down, I think a little over 6%, which is well above the five and 10 year averages. So this is something that we've seen play out guy where, you know, companies are beating lowered estimates are coming in line and then kind of offering murky guidance. And then we see the earnings estimates come down over the course of the, of the quarter that they just guided. Right. And they're making that again. So we haven't seen any companies really lower the uh, the beam on um you know full year guidance yet maybe you do see that in this one um let's just talk a little bit about um the expectations for rates at this point okay so we, I, I referenced the, the cme fed watch tool because the cpi is going to obviously put that in um you know in in focus here tomorrow um if you look at this if we look at the may june expectations for five percent on the fed funds rate guy you know we're kind of split here we're going to get to five um i think there's some fed speakers out there saying that maybe we keep going as you kind of referenced before um but then there's other you know prominent sort of market voices are saying listen man if they keep going they're really going to kill this thing and then all of a sudden this fed watch tool is going to be showing the expectation for cuts not raises well, when you say kill this thing, you obviously you're talking about the economy, which, you know, they let it get out of control for sure. So I, I, again, I'm hard pressed to come to the conclusion that they've come this far only not to see it get across the goal line. You know, why get stopped at the three yard line when you're within striking distance of basically scoring a touchdown? And that's what they are. Cause I got to tell you, if you go, if you give up the ball on downs here, and then the other team comes back to you know go 97 yards and score on you. That's demoralizing. And that other team, by the way, is inflation, which, yeah, maybe it has its back up against its own end zone, 
but it ain't dead yet. So that's why I think the Fed's going to stay steadfast, um, really regardless, unless you see an extraordinarily soft number tomorrow. Now, the PPI, I think the day later, I mean, that's more of an economic indicator than anything else. So that could come in soft. But all that means is the economy is slowing. And if CPI hangs in there, you have a slowing economy against a backdrop of still pesky and persistent inflation. This is something that Danny Moses was talking about two summers or so ago, Dan. So I, I just don't know how they extricate themselves from the position that they put themselves in. Yeah. All right. Let's quickly get to this because you got to trade in gold. But it, it's interesting when you think about what's happened with the dollar here. Um, it's round tripped. You know, it's basically trading, you know, a little bit above where it was a year ago levels here. We're about 102, the Dixie. Um, and, you know, we're down from nearly 115. That was um, in late summer, early fall or so. And so, you know, throughout this time, we've seen, you know, gold really kind of pick itself up a little bit. We've also seen Bitcoin. We'll take a look at that. Um, gold's back at a big level, Guy. It's, it's basically approaching what felt like a bit of a blow off top in the summer um, of 2020, if you recall that move. And, and I think at the time, that was the market basically suggesting that central banks globally were going to do whatever they could, right, to keep um, at least our economy and the global economy out of a depression, right? So they wanted to... Um, at the time, weaken the dollar, which they were doing by lowering rates to zero. But then we saw that quickly turn around for a whole host of reasons, the dollar strength. Um, and so, you know, gold came off, but it's actually remained elevated over the last year and a half. And it's been a really volatile sort of asset. But you think that this is just kind of the party's getting started here. And you think the best way to kind of express this view is with futures and for one of the main reasons is because the way in which you can kind of place stops in there and continue to pick at that level and playing for a breakout now most i understand why a lot of people would look at this and say what are you nuts i mean we're about to make the mother of double tops and blah and, and i get it but you know we had that move back in the summer of 2020 subsequent sell-off then we had the move back towards that high we failed at and the subsequent sell-off and here we are again typically when you see things, the third time's a charm. So I am playing for a breakout here in terms of the futures. And I think it's going to correspond with the triggers for a lot of these hedge funds, who, by the way, are not long gold. If you look at the commitment of traders, as I said, a hundred times, the market might be bullish of gold, but the market is not long of gold yet. And we drew, look at what we did for you, Dan. This is in absentia. You weren't around. We drew this channel. And yep. this is a pretty significant up channel. And again, well, people will look at this and say, why we're getting towards the top end of that channel. I totally get it. But this is a breakout trade. And I'm going to say, you know what? The amount of gold central banks have been buying, central banks continue to buy gold. The Chinese bought gold in January and February. We'll probably see March data that suggests the same. Here's my trade, you know, 2020-ish. My initial target is 2050, but not necessarily to take profits but I think to add to a long position, if it gets to 1950 in futures, I'm like, you know what? Once again, I've been proven incorrect. But here's a trade where I'm going to buy it here for a breakout. Initial target of 2050, I might add to that long position and buy the, buy the breakout, as they say, or buy the double for you people that have been doing this for a long time. So that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. And if I'm wrong... You're out at 1950 and you live to fight again, Dan. Well, there's a couple things I'd say about this trade. And I see what you're doing from a technical standpoint. You also have a fundamental thesis. You're also keeping a close eye on the dollar. You're also keeping a close eye on what's going on with Bitcoin, you know, approaching or it's above 30,000 for the first time in maybe a year or so. I mean, the whole idea also 
though, of playing a, for a trade like this. This has been, if you think about, again, we're going back to August of 2020, the last time gold, uh, you know what I mean, was, was it topped out. And then we had that period in early 2022, right, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And here we are. We're approaching those levels again. So the idea that you might add to the long position at 2050, I think, is really interesting. It's also an opportunity where you would raise your stop. You'd probably right. raise your stop up there to about 2000 right and so the other point i would just make about your 1950 stop is that you could almost maybe even have it a little bit tighter guy like the idea right of playing for a little bit of back and fill because you're not playing that one day and you've said this for a while we're going to wake up and it's going to be a whole heck of a lot higher because there's going to be something that's gone on where somebody gets or a whole host of people get the memo um at once i just I, listen i love the way you're thinking about this trade and i get it you started out by saying some of you're going to look at that and say it's going to fail at the exact spot where it has in 2020 and then again in 22 but you think something's different this time so i love the idea of playing for the breakout using futures having an initial target where you would add to the position to the upside but also risk managing it with a stop to the downside and listen for some of you who don't want to risk let's say three percent in something like this you just use a tighter stop and you see how it trades when that stop selected and then you maybe wait a little bit and then you get back in there again with a tighter stop yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, sometimes adding to positions when you're in the money and adding to positions on strength, I mean, that's a leveraged way to play. For you craps players out there, you'll know the same thing. You know, you lever when you're playing with the house's money. And if we were to get long here and then see that subsequent move to the upside and you start to buy that strength, my sense is that strength feeds upon itself. And to Dan's point, that stop becomes a trailing stop. So with each let's say $25 higher gold goes, and I'm just making up numbers now, you raise that stop by maybe $10 to $12.50, and you continue to do that, understanding at a certain point that trailing stop is going to be triggered. But what the hope is, you know, you've gotten long enough and it's going high enough where it doesn't necessarily matter. So that's how I'm looking at it, Dan. All right. I love it when you put your old commodity trading hat back. Oh, up we used there. to okay. we used to throw shit around like you I, wouldn't believe, man. I know. I've heard the stories. All right, listen, you know, guy, I just did my corporate duty. I did my duty to you and to all of our friends here big, who, big who tuned day. in to watch the market call. And now I have to go do my civic duty. Civic. So it is 1.30. Um, and we did it. I really enjoyed this, and I'm glad I got to work it in. So it was, I, you know what? Yeoman's work, as I said last night on CNBC's Fast Money. Thank you for coming in. Enjoy the rest of jury duty. It is 1.30. So I want to thank CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Obviously, FactSet is our data provider. I want to thank our audience. Always there with us every day. Love the comments. I apologize for not getting to more of them. Uh, can we get a Guy Adami in the pits photo? I will effort that Nicholas Holiday. Uh, I'm sure I have one somewhere. I had darker hair back then, and I was definitely a tad meaner, although I still have a mean streak in me, as you know. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and smash the what out of the like button, Dan. Just smash the crap out of it. Yeah, that's fine as well. I would yeah. smash the shit out of it, but that's me. Yankee baseball tonight in Cleveland. Padres looking to even up a three-game set at Shea. We'll see you tomorrow when I is CBW back with us tomorrow. Yeah, he'll be back with us. Dubs so is we'll back see tomorrow. See you, see you later. Thanks, Bye, everyone. peeps.